Welcome to Over to Europe. This podcast is produced by students of Civica, the European University of Social Sciences. I'm your host Aniket Narawad, a first-year Master of Public Policy student at Hertie School, Berlin. The COVID-19 virus has flipped our lives over the past one year. Apart from massive number of hospitalization and deaths, lockdown has stalled our day-to-day lives. Due to lockdown, non-essential businesses have been shut. Traveling has been impossible. The COVID-19 crisis is beyond a health crisis. It has changed travel, education, and most importantly, our economy. We are going through one of the biggest economic crises in history. So, we thought about looking into this. We wanted to understand the ongoing economic crisis and see how it compares with other economic crises in the past. We wanted to investigate how economies perform in the time of crisis. We wanted to understand how our labor market has been affected. We speak with three different experts to understand different aspects of the ongoing economic crisis. To understand the crisis, I speak with Professor Thomas Lebabashan. Professor Lebabashan is a professor of microeconomics at Bocconi University. I would like you to under- help me understand what is the what is the financial crisis. I'm asking this question because this particular crisis is seen as a health crisis and the financial crisis is is kind of a consequence of that. The previous crises were quite different. How do you define generally uh, from a microeconomic perspective a crisis or financial crisis? So economists define recessions as periods of negative economic growth. To measure economic growth, we commonly use a global domestic product. So this measures during a period of time, for example, a quarter, the monetary value of goods and services added in the national production process. So we define a period as a recession when the GDP during uh, two consecutive quarters is lower than previous levels. So one of the reasons, as, as a, let's say I'm a student, I don't understand much about economy and I want to understand in terms of certain parameters, as you said, GDP GDP is one of those uh, parameters we look at when the recession is happening, the crisis is going on. What are the, some of the such parameters we should to look at if I want to understand what is happening in a crisis? So during recessions, economists closely follow the evolution of aggregate GDP, but also GDP per industry. So they also decompose GDP in its different components, consumption of final consumers and investment. They also inspect the evolution of prices of final goods and of interest rates. The latter interest rate also inform about the degree of uncertainty about the future evolution of the economy. From the household perspective, it is important to follow the evolution of wages and employment. Wages and employment make most of the revenue of households. And so a drop in employment or in wages has a strong impact on aggregate demand and consumption. Such a, such a channel may thus generate some vicious circles that lock the economy in a recession where an initial shock that is on the technology side translate into a demand shock that in turn affects the profitability of firms. As labor economists, we look into the evolution of unemployment. The unemployment rate measures the share of workers who are not employed, but available and searching for a job. 
This gives a sense of the amount of resources in the labor market inefficiently set aside. During recessions, unemployment increases. It increases through two channels, increase in inflows into unemployment and decrease in outflows out of unemployment. First, during recessions, firms lay off their workers as their sales and profitability shrink. Layoffs contribute to larger inflow in unemployment. Second, during recessions, firms slow down their hirings. They post less job vacancies. This lowers outflow from unemployment. For example, in France, changes in unemployment are equally attributed to the two margins, job separations and job finding. Going through unemployment during a recession is costly to the workers and to the government. From the worker perspective, economists estimate that the new jobs that workers find while they search during recessions pay particularly lower wages than their previous jobs, about 15%. This decrease in workers' earnings losing jobs during recessions lasts for a few years. It has important consequences on workers' lifetime earnings and create persistent inequalities. This carrying effect of losing a job in recessions may come from two facts. First, firms do not hire on good jobs during recessions. Second, competition for a few jobs is fiercer during recessions. This makes job search harder and unemployed workers remain unemployed for a longer period. This creates long-term unemployment, which is another parameter that we need to really look into when we assess the uh, effect of a recession and discourage workers from participating in the labor market. Long-term unemployed, let's say people who are searching for jobs for more than one year, may see their skills depreciating as they are not using them on a daily basis. And this is an important loss for the worker himself, but also for the overall economy. So uh, you're talking about like uh, impact of crisis on in, in both ways. One is like from the perspective of government and then second is from the perspective of the labor market. Could you talk about uh, what are the often like what are the common tools used in crisis to help uh, to to get the economy back in um, back to to get the economy back to normal? Because in uh, in terms of uh, government and also in terms of uh, labor market, so governments have a wide variety of tools to tackle economic crisis. It goes from monetary policy to fiscal policies. Some tools are actually from policies that are always available to agents, but which act as some form of automatic stabilizers. For example, unemployment insurance supports workers by providing replacement income when they become unemployed. Even in booms, unemployed workers can be eligible for unemployment benefits. But in a recession, the unemployment insurance effectiveness in supporting workers is stronger. First, some governments actually make unemployment insurance more generous during recession. For example, they increase the duration when claimants may receive unemployment benefits. Other tools actually subsidize firms to help them smooth temporary shocks. It could be tax credits on firms' benefit, but also on their input use. 
about labor, government offered to reduce, for example, the social security contributions paid by them to reduce the wage bill. To support job creation, governments offer hiring subsidies, such as lump sum transfers when firms hire new workers. To limit job destruction, government helps firms to retain their employees even though they face difficulties in paying their wages. So these specific tools are called short-time work schemes or furlough programs. In these teams, employees see their hours worked reduced and the government replaces their lost income, either directly or through a firm subsidy. When designing labor market policies in response to crisis, government face a trade-off between keeping the labor in their pre-crisis use or letting the market reallocate labor from one sector to another, from one firm to another. So, for example, furlough schemes or short-time work schemes, they lead workers to remain with their pre-crisis jobs. While generous unemployment insurance actually makes reallocation less costly for workers. So you, the topics, the tools you talked about right now are mostly to, uh, used in different crises. Uh, but the crisis we are going through right now, the COVID-related crisis, we have been having locked shutdowns of the business, shutdown of the economy continuously once, twice. Have you seen any different kinds of tools used by governments uh, for this particular crisis, which is, which was, which we, which is just focus on this crisis because of the the different nature of the crisis. So the ongoing crisis is atypical. So at the outbreak of the COVID epidemics, the shock was generally perceived as temporary. Another clear specificity of the crisis was its asymmetric nature because lockdown policies affect sectors, industries in different ways, depending on whether their products are essential, whether consuming their services entail social contact, on whether the production process could be performed without physical social contact. So as a consequence, the initial policy response of this crisis has been to sponsor widely furlough schemes to maintain workers' income and to directly give monetary compensation to hardly its sectors. The objective was clearly to avoid massive layoffs and business bankruptcies. And the intensive use of furlough scheme is clearly a new policy response specific to this crisis. That was Professor Thomas Lebovichon, a microeconomist specializing in labor market and labor policy. Next, I speak to Christina Lafiente, a Max Weber Fellow in Economics at European University Institute. She's currently working on research projects that analyze the effect of ongoing crisis on the European labor market. Can you please uh, help us understand how the labor market was behaving before the pandemic, like in terms of certain parameters which you judge a labor market on? So after the financial crisis uh, and the Eurozone crisis, but in the case of the European Union, it was actually two crises, two consecutive crises. The first one was um, was the financial crisis itself, but then there was the Eurozone crisis. This was uh, when European countries have problems with debt. 
and these problems in debt generated uh, huge fiscal consolidations. Uh, in the case of Greece, they generated massive unemployment again. Uh, and even countries like Spain that were not directly rescued by the European Fund, they still had a profound impact on, on the labor market. And so the recovery from this was still ongoing in many countries, especially in Southern Europe. So, for example, Spain had not yet come back to the levels of unemployment that it had in 2007. So in 2007, for example, Spain had about 7% unemployment. But just before the COVID crisis, it was still around 12, 15%, which is still pretty high. Other countries in the European Union, because as I mentioned, Europe is very heterogeneous, uh, recover very well from the crisis and were kind of, uh, were suffering a little bit because of the uh, trade war between the US and China and how all of this disrupted um, exports and imports from different countries, especially Germany, for example, that was uh, that is like a huge trade partner of the of the US and all of the uncertainty that the Trump administration and the rules caused on on these countries. Uh, so it was pretty heterogeneous, but generally speaking, it was going well. These crises are different. The labor, the current ongoing crisis is a very different kind of crisis than what 2008-2009 financial crisis was. How, how is the what are the differences and what are the similarities between the two crises in terms of labor market, how it is reacting? That is actually a very interesting question and one that labor economists in particular, we are very excited about. Because on one hand, the financial crisis and the Eurozone crisis are what we could call endogenous crisis in the sense that they were generated by something in the economy that wasn't working right. In this case, the financial sector had its problems. What we are seeing with the current crisis is a completely different story because on one hand, the shock is not endogenous. It's not generated within the economy. It's an exogenous shock. It's, it's more comparable to think about the current situation, to compare it, to compare it with a situation where there has been a natural disaster like an earthquake or a war or something that is external from the national economy and that leads to huge sectors of the economy completely shutting down. And this thing is, I think, the characteristic that for labor markets has been uh, very, very different and very interesting. That is like whole sectors of the economy, the service sector, the hospitality sector, uh, the arts sector, they have completely shut down. And they had to shut down because of the COVID emergency. Now, this is unprecedented because even in wars, uh, whole sectors of the economy don't uh, collapse. It, even in natural disasters, uh, it's, it's geographically located, but it's not sector specific. It's not like there is an earthquake and it destroys all of the hotels in a country. Um, so in this sense, this crisis is unprecedented. And because of this, the response to it has also been unprecedented. Is, has there been any specific kind of tools to deal with the ongoing crisis, which is quite different than the previous uh, earlier, like uh, normal financial crisis? Have you seen any tools which are more suitable for it? So the first thing to note is that furlough schemes did exist before the current crisis, but they were not used that often because firms have to pay for them themselves. Uh, the thing that has changed this time is that the governments have facilitated massively the use of these furlough schemes by, as I was saying, um, deciding to pay for them themselves. And as I said before, the issue was that nobody knew in the first wave how long it was going to last. Everybody thought, and this was like a good, because again, this crisis has not been generated because there was something wrong with the economy at all. 
these farms that are shutting down, they're not shutting down because they were not making a profit. They were making a profit. It's just the external circumstances have uh, caused them to close. This is not a labor policy per se, but the fact that schools are open is very important for the labor market. And the reason for this is that one of the things that we have also seen that is weird, that is um, not weird, but unusual in this crisis is that in the past crisis, unemployment rose more for men than for women. But in this crisis, it has been the other way around. And especially worrying is that we have seen uh, a lot of women dropping out of the labor force. And we believe that this is because women are um, having the, are sustaining the burden of care of children and elderly people that in COVID times, they definitely need care. And it's, it's harder for, for the state or for, um, for other providers to provide this care because we know of the risk implied. So people tend to prefer to care for, the, for their grandparents themselves rather than uh, getting external help. And this burden relies on women. So something that we should be mindful of and that governments have, many governments have tried to do in, in Europe is to sustain um, the schools, sustain kindergartens, sustain um, the network that allows and frees parents to be able to do their job uh, properly because uh, this, is, this, thing, this thing is really affecting women particularly bad. And... Um, this can have uh, future consequences, especially if they drop out of the labor force for reemployability issues. This is this could be this could be substantial. So yeah, as I was saying, so supporting uh, the care sector is really really important for the labor market as well. But something else that I think is super interesting is the fact that in this because of the nature of this crisis, governments have been using what what I would call like unconventional labor market policies. They've been doing things that in the past recessions they would have never ever dreamed of doing. The extent of income substitution that we have seen uh, is unparalleled. And some people that, for example, are advocating for universal basic income are seeing this as the clear opportunity to push for these policies. And the fact that, and I think that this crisis definitely is going to change the way that governments in Europe uh, face, um, face uh, labor market policies. I think this, door, this crisis has opened the door for many policies that before were completely unthinkable. And I think that this is going to have a very enduring effect on how policies design in the European Union in coming years. Can you a little bit tell us about, because you're working right now uh, on assessing what is happening in the labor market, a little bit, any uh, particular insights you think are interesting? Uh, you, you have working with data across European countries, uh, anything specific around that? So again, we we are just starting the project because this uh, project uh, just started um, in in November or in October this year. So this this is just uh, very very recent that we have um, obtained this project from the BBVA Foundation. But something that we are looking at is um, we are looking at the different uh, something that we are that is actually very interesting about this crisis as well in terms of the labor market is that it has increased the demand for telework and telecommunications. And, and not only this, but because it's, it, has put, it has actually affected different occupations of the economy very differently in a way that is going to increase inequality, largely. Because a lot of people that have been, the people that have been able to telework from home, that have been able not to lose their job because they could work from home safely, are high-skilled workers that can connect remote, remotely, white, uh, white-collar workers that can uh, connect remotely. Uh, whereas the ones that have lost their jobs mostly are, again, low-skilled workers in the 
that have to be that have to provide a personal attention to the customer, like in the again in the hospitality sector or in the care sector that employs women, a lot of women as well. So something that we are going to be looking at is like how these occupational and sectoral compositions uh, have been hit by the crisis. And looking forward, what we are trying to look at is how this is going to impact on future trends in the sense that um, technology is going to keep biasing um, it's going to keep um, favoring people that have um, that are highly skilled uh, graduates, uh, people that work with IT, and it's going to uh, favor keep favoring these uh, these occupations that are also the best paid occupations, relatively to the poor to the worst paid occupations that are the blue collar workers that are the blue collar workers in particular that deal with people because there was something that was said before about um something that has been spoken recently is about automation and the fact that you may have heard about this robots and algorithms replacing people right just so that when we talk about this thing in labor markets uh what we say is that this is going to hurt people in the middle and what we mean by this people that are highly skilled they are the ones that program the machines, they program the algorithms, and these guys will always get a job and it would be a fantastically paid job. So their wages are going to keep going up. Their unemployment is going to keep going down because there is huge demand for them. They would always find jobs. Uh, the people at the very bottom, the waiters, uh, the again, people in hospitality, people in the care sector for the elderly, for example, doctors, nurses, teachers, people, well, doctors, nurses and teachers are like more highly skilled workers. But um, again, like in the hospitality sector where we have like uh, waiters, cooks and all of this uh, lower uh, or like people working in supermarkets, for example, all of these, uh, all of these uh, low-skill workers, but that had a personal component in the interaction, we thought that they would be safe as well for automation. And we have, if actually look at how has the employment of people in the lower uh, sector of 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 um, of weight of uh, the wage distribution, so the people that earn the learn less, the blue-collar workers, their employment has actually also been growing up. It's the hollow out of the middle, the secretaries, or again, like people that are qualified, but not very qualified, whose job, uh, for example, in manufacturing, they were like operating some technical machine and now a machine can do the job that they can do. So these were the, these were the people that we thought that before COVID, we thought that they were going to lose uh, more. But COVID is just actually exacerbating this pattern in the sense that again, the, the guys that have access like um, we thought that at least the people that had personal interaction with other people would be saved from this technological change in a sense, but COVID is actually pushing, is actually like stealing these people's jobs in a way. And so something that we are interested in looking at if this is being the case in Spain and in other countries in Europe. You also mentioned two other things. One is like uh, it is affecting uh, disproportionately to the poor uh, class. The lower class than mm-hmm. the uh, the uh, highly skilled, highly paid. Okay, so it is. It, it also has further to enhance like the uh, the wealth gap between in the society. Would you, would you say that? Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. That's one of the things that we are interested in uh, looking at in this project. Yes. So, and also, like initially uh, uh, earlier in the conversation, you said like this is also affecting a very certain kind of industries and. Energy. Like it has affected the art the galleries, the movie theaters, the, uh, mm-hmm. the outdoor industry, the, the all of the hospitality industry. So it has a very uh, targeted 
attack on certain segments of society, certain part of the labor market. Uh, something that this crisis is going to change is not only the labor market itself, because of all of these technological changes, and again, like the participation of women and everything else, but something, and also I forgot to mention as well, younger people are being harder hit as well by this crisis, because they are the ones that need the entry jobs that now they are completely dried out. And we know from tons of, eco- like, we. this is one of, one thing that economists agree is that uh, when young people are affected by recessions, the effects last last for forever. You can still see differences of somebody that enters the job market in a recession and somebody that enters the year before. You can still see differences f- twenty years after this, which is it's 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 scary. And so, like the 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 fact that we are seeing today these things are are very worrying for like intergenerational equality as well, because the generations that are entering the labor market today they are going to be badly affected in the future. So what we see is that if you follow those people up during their lifetimes. Um, what we see is that the person that entered during a recession, in, in on average, that person would have lower wages. That person would experience unemployment more often. And those are the two main indicators that we look at. But of course, if they experience unemployment more often and they have lower wages on average, then we can also say that these people also experience more uncertainty in their lives, and they and they have like a worse ability, for example, to save for the future in terms of pensions, you can see the, the effect of, of this. And of course, like all of these differences, um, those of these differences have been observed in previous recessions. They are very well documented across countries. Like this is not a European phenomenon. This has been documented as well in the US. And so always when when you see that newspapers and the European Union worries about youth unemployment, they are not worrying just out of the goodness of their heart for for young people. They are worrying because uh, it, it does make a huge difference. And this is something that we are trying to understand as economists. Why does it make uh, such a huge uh, difference? Because it's a bit scary if you think that the world works a bit in like a kind of like a butterfly effect. Like if you enter in the job in a, re- in, a, in a recession that is going to mark the rest of your life. We don't like to think about this because, you know, there are things that we cannot control. But um, it seems to be the case. And so this is also something that we would like to keep track of in this project as well. I started my undergrad in 2007. So I, when, I, when I finished my undergraduate degree, um, I think that unemployment in Spain was uh, 25% when I did my undergrad in Spain. So uh, this is kind of, we are, the millennials are kind of like the, the workers that we have seen two huge crises in our lifetime. So we saw one when we entered the labor force, which was bad enough. But now that we are mid-career, we are experiencing another one. So, um, yeah. So when you see all of those uh, millennial memes on the internet, um, for the point of view of labor economists, they are very accurate. This was Christina, a labor policy researcher from European University Institute. She's mentioned how certain group of people in labor markets are disproportionately affected by the crisis. This podcast is produced for students of Civica Partner Universities. We wanted to understand how the pandemic affects them. I talked to Anna Von Baer from Hertie School. Anna works with the career development team at Hertie. So, so you, you're currently working with a lot of students at Hertie also. Some of the students just graduated. Based on this particular uh, data, like, uh, like even though it is anecdotal data, do you see a drop in salary or do you see a drop in less or more number of offers for these people? I have not heard anything in terms of salary 
So that would really be um, a new piece of information for me that salary has been affected. I do think that students need longer to find employment. Um, I think to some extent it's also quite early to say because as a rule of thumb, we say on average a graduate might take up to six months to find employment from the first application he or she sends out to the signing of the contract. And six months sounds like a really long time for someone who's young and eager to start to work. But um, from an employer's perspective, these processes just take a lot of time and um, six months actually flies by very quickly. And one of the other key aspect of getting to job market is through internship. For second year, second year people, it is about graduating and getting a job. For first year student, it is about getting either an internship or as Hurti offers a professional year. So have you seen any increase in number or decrease in number? Because this can be a parameter to judge how the labor market, mm -hmm. how the job market is functioning also. I don't see a trend um, that positions are going to be offered less. And for internships, the internship market in Germany, in general, is a very informal market. You also work with private sector. You also work with uh, uh, public sector who, who, who are hiring from Hertie and other schools. What are their uh, thoughts about this? What they are thinking in the crisis? Because, uh, because of the economic uh, crisis, their resources also have depleted. So how are they thinking about this? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, in the last few events that I hosted, I always asked the alumni if they see a drop in hiring. And for the most part, the answer was no. Um, for the most part, they were saying over the summer, we were a little uncertain. But now towards the end of the year, it's picking up speed again. Uh, we're now doing our HR budget for next year. And the The first quarter of the year is probably the strong, like in the hiring cycle, um, which is not like a set cycle. But um, if we look at the year, uh, there are also different times, like different times of intensity. And the first quarter is always the strongest um, in the year. And um, I think, I mean, I get a lot of emails from alumni pointing out jobs um, either in their departments or in their organizations um, and they're still looking for good people. Is it possible that sector we work in, the Hurti works in, uh, is not affected that much? Is, is that a reason you, you are, you're getting a very uh, positive, uh, you're giving a positive assessment of this situation? I think that's part of it. Um, I do think that that there are sectors where MPP and MI graduates tend to work in that are less likely to be affected because these are sectors that will always that always need to function, um, which the like the public sector, for example. Um, these we're also always talking about academic jobs. So a lot of academic jobs are possible to be executed from a home office setting. That's very different than the hospitality sector or mobility, you know, like the whole public transportation part, um, like the, the German train system, for example, um, tourism. These are all very 
service-oriented, um, people-oriented professions um, that cannot be done in, in a remote setting. But the jobs that Hertie graduates are interested in are mainly to do with your head, you know, with your intellectual abilities. And international organizations such as the World Bank, like financing, um, is always going to be, or it's very hard to predict. That's what I think. It's very hard to predict how a recession will ultimately also hit the public sector and international organizations. The next question is, you talk to a lot of uh, students at Hertie. You, you do one-on-one -on -one counseling, career development counseling. Have you seen in a shift in conversation compared to last couple of few years when there was not crisis? And are people scared about getting a job? Are, is there any anxiety around mm. job market because of what is happening? Do you see in a shift in the conversation? Yes, I definitely see that students are more worried or recent graduates are more worried. Um, I would certainly say that. Um, and I also see that some, some students explicitly say that they would have been open to more unsecure, insecure, uh, uncertain um, job offers. But now with, with an, an economic crisis looming, um, they really want to have a very stable first job. So I think it has shifted priorities to some extent. Um, I do think sometimes it's hard, though, if you've been, as I said before, if you've been looking for a job for four months, it's really hard to be entirely certain that you haven't found a job yet because of COVID or because it's just four months and that's uh, still in the normal amount of time that it takes after you graduate, which is one of the hardest, hardest phases of your life um, to break into the job market. You know, um, but I think because it's hard to know, um, it just creates more uncertainty and, and it's a stressful time anyway, even without the crisis, it's a stressful time um, being on the market, not knowing when you'll find something, so it's always important to also think about how you can stay healthy and uh, sane and balanced and motivated because it's, you know, I often say like it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Because you work as a career development uh, coach, uh, do you have any specific two or three tips or suggestions for the students to, to navigate through this uh, crisis? This has been said many times and also in, in, in recent events that we've hosted, it has been said by um, alumni. But I think trying to build a professional network as part of what you do on an everyday basis, I think is very important. And I understand um, that that networking, <laughs> that the idea of networking is not appealing to many students and I also understand why. So I think maybe the first first thing to do would be for students to understand how they could develop an idea of networking that they can relate to, or that is their own definition of networking. But as we said before, because the, the informal job market is so important and is more important in times of crisis, uh, I really think it's a good idea to start in your first semester to slowly but steadily 
um, try to get to know people in the fields and the organizations that you're interested in. Talk to them about a lot of things, not just about jobs, but um, go through the topics that you care for. Um, if you're a second year student, use your master thesis to reach out to people um, to to interview them as experts, um, thus establishing a contact. Because with, with building a network, it's just the way that um, when you start building it, when you need it, um, it's just too late, you know? Like when you graduate and then you feel like, oh God, I need um, I need a network. It just takes time and people tend to be more open if you talk to them about a shared interest or a shared topic than about um, you looking for a job. That was Anna Wonbear from Hattie School. With this, we wrap up this episode. We hope this episode provides insights into the effects of ongoing crisis and how our economies and labor markets are affected because of it. Thank you for being part of the conversation. Over to Europe is produced by Nicholas Fellows and me, Aniket Narawad, with the help of Savika Community. Music in this episode was created by Kevin McLeod. This podcast is funded by German Academic Exchange Service. Subscribe and learn more at www.civica.eu/slash over to Europe. Stay tuned for our next episodes.